church. Good to see you guys. You're looking so beautiful today. Come on, give somebody a, a fist bump. Don't be weird. Just be like, you look good today. You know, I can tell you, you put, a, put some effort into it today. Man, I just felt in worship today, uh, man, so many things. Just a great time in the presence of God. But Bethany leaned over to me. She said, man, it's so cool. You can hear everybody singing. And uh, the Lord loves to hear our voices lifted up in praise. Every morning I sit down in my big leather chair. You know, you guys know my, my habits. It's all about coffee and dead British men. Uh, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, you know, I really love old dead British guys. And I get that book open, get the Bible open. Uh, the, unfortunately, the Bible wasn't written by British people, but I think God influenced that Britishness in there. And my kids come down from, from their rooms and they all come up to me every morning and sleepy eyes and their messy hair and give me a hug. And that's a beautiful time. And I feel like today, you know, maybe you're here in your pajamas and your hair's messy and uh, you get to say you love the Lord and it's really meaningful to his heart when we worship him and praise him. So exciting. And uh, man, so good to be with you today. We're going to have a special guest today, but before that, I want to just really quickly honor my parents that are here, Pastor Stephen Kim Schmelzer. Would you guys stand up and wave at everybody? And uh, this is Mama and Papa, Papa and Grandma, as we call them. And uh, uh, they just transitioned their church, Joy Church Medford, to my sister and her husband last week. And we got to be there with them, and it was an incredible, beautiful service. I'm still tired because it was nine hours of church services. Uh, and I'm still recovering physically, but uh, <laughs> it was wonderful and beautiful. And uh, God is doing such a beautiful work, has done a beautiful work in their life uh, through their natural children. Uh, spiritual children. You guys are a part of that, Legacy and Heritage. There are seven joy churches that are now in existence. Uh, yeah. Really incredible. So we honor you guys. Love you. Thanks for being here with us today. And they're retired, so they can do what it, say whatever they want at this point. Whatever, you know. Um, but we have an incredible honor today, a special privilege to hear from my dear friend Matt Molt. Matt is one of my favorite speakers, and I'm not just saying that because I have a mic and I'm up here and I have to say nice things about him. This is actually true. We get to go to a leadership retreat. It's like a very exclusive VIP, invite-only, you know, back room of the club kind of, no, it's just a pastor's thing. But we go to this retreat every year, and, and Matt uh, many times gets asked to speak, and Every year, Bethany and I are always like, dang, that was really good. But now all, everything we think has been shifted in this new paradigm. Like, just brings such an incredible insight. But what I love about Matt is he's an excellent communicator. Um, he's obviously honed in that craft to be able to speak, and you're going to see that in evidence. But what I love about him the most is his authenticity, the reality of who he is. Because the guy that's going to preach to you today, this is his life. You're going to see that, who he is. And uh, he just has a, a deep heart for people. He loves people and he loves Jesus. And those two things coming together are a really beautiful thing. And so he's going to share with us today about unboxing and sharing our faith. And uh, if you could just give him a warm welcome. Matt, thank you for being here. Hey, everybody. I don't know any of you. It's good to see you. Um, I do want to honor the uh, smelters as well. Uh, it's it's awesome and terrifying to preach in front of you because <laughs> you guys are, are living legends. I think the Lord honors you uh, for, I was telling Pastor Steve in worship that it's really good to see pastors in the journey well. Everything gets advertised in our culture about pastors not going to the end. But you guys went to the end with integrity and have done it great. 
and you're just getting to enjoy that. And I just want to honor that and say that blesses me. Come on, it gives me hope for the future. Like there's moms and dads in the faith, didn't quit, didn't give up, didn't, come on, they kept, they stayed together in their marriage, stayed with their church, went through tough times. I'm telling you, I could just preach that. I'm just gonna preach you guys today. No, uh, really, really good. And I love your pastors here at Joy Eugene. You guys are lucky uh, that you have such great pastors right here. So great to be here today. It's a real honor. And uh, traveling with my buddy Chris. Chris is not single. Uh, he is um, just because, you know, sometimes when pastors are like, oh, yeah, he's single. No, he's not. But he, he, uh, our wives are hanging out. My wife couldn't come. She wanted to be here uh, with you guys today. But our daughter's on spring break starts today from Bible college. And she's getting married in May. So they have got a bazillion like things to figure out and buy candles and flowers or something. I have no idea. So anyway, I want to show you a little bit about my family. This is my wife, Lisa, uh, my partner in crime, and she's amazing. And she just texted our church. Both services are, are beyond capacity, packed out. God is doing a good thing. It's really awesome. I, want, um, I, I have three children, but I don't care about them. I want to show you my grandchildren. Okay, so this is the newest one right here. This is Bodie. He was just born two weeks ago. And he's so handsome. He, he looks like his grandfather. And then uh, the next one is Luca. Yeah, I know. I know. It's so great. And uh, he was born in December. And then uh, Ellie is my first grandchild. And I am Ellie's favorite. Like, of even her parents, like everybody, she loves me the most. And I, so I love her. And she's so great. She just thinks, uh, I mean, we just have a special bond. About a year ago, she was getting potty trained. And uh, so she's at our house, and we're playing and having a good time. And I'm like, Ellie, I got to take a break. Uh, Grandpa has to go potty. And, and uh, she's just starting to learn all those words. And she goes, okay, I go with you. And I said, I said, well, and I'm trying to use her language. I said, well, Grandpa's going to go by himself like a big girl. And she goes, oh, okay, I wait for you. So I go to the bathroom, close the door and lock it. And she, uh, I start to, to do my thing. And I hear a little voice under the door going, you're doing it, Grandpa. Good job. <laughs> so that's, that's our relationship right there. Okay, I wanna, here's what I want to do today. I want to I wanna share... Two scriptures that Jesus talked about neighbors and the mindset of, of neighbors. And then I want to maybe uh, talk about three questions or things we could think about together that might frame our outlook on life and how we view people today and give you some, and then I want to give you some personal strategies and things that have actually happened in my life with my neighbors. I'm going to talk about my neighbors today. Big old gossip session. Okay, sound good? I'm going to share how God has kind of helped me to have uh, hopefully an impact for the gospel with the neighbors that literally live on 46th Street in Kenwick, Washington in my neighborhood. So the title is Unboxing My Neighbors. Ha. All right, Matthew chapter 22, this is what somebody comes to Jesus and they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says to them, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And come on, if you're a Jesus follower, you know you got to love God. It's not just a check the box belief. You've got to love God with everything that you have. Are you with me on that? 
Okay, the rest of you, are you with me on that? Okay, good, all right. And so then the second one, Jesus tags onto that, and he says, the second is like that. It's like that first command that's the greatest and of first importance. And he says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a pretty incredible statement for Jesus to say, if you're gonna obey anything, Obey this, love God with everything that you've got. And then the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And I remember reading this and thinking, that could be tough because I really love myself a lot. I take really good care of myself. And so uh, this is a high priority. And I think that the way God sees reality is that your relationship to God can be examined and measured and rewarded or not rewarded based on how your relationship is with people around you, including your neighbors. Same people you go to school with, people that you go to work with, and the people you live with. Interesting uh, quote from Jesus. Second quote is uh, in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is going to bring up that same verse that is in the Old Testament, love your neighbor, but he brings that out in a context of how people had interpreted it in that day. Here's what he says. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now the Bible, the Old Testament that Jesus is quoting never said hate your enemy, but in that day people would quote the first part from scripture, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, as if that was a better way to live life. Like yeah, we're gonna be good to our people, but anybody that's not in our crew, they're not with us, so we're, we're going to have common enemies. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he made the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust and most of it in Eugene. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the IRS workers do the same thing. But if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? And I just want you to think about, just for a second, rewind your, you know, you know, your moment here about a half hour ago. And when you walked into church today, did you just greet people that you knew? Were you like, hey, what's up? High five, good to see you. Did you only greet people that you would consider neighbors that you know? Or did you get in here and like Jesus is saying, hey, you got to be perfect. Like my father is perfect in heaven and you got to have a wide net that people around you are the ones that you're going to make sure everybody gets greeted. Everybody gets treated like a neighbor. The interesting thing in our culture right now is there is actually a secular morality and ethical standard that says it's more beneficial and more moral to hate the right people, cancel the right companies and the right individuals. And Jesus goes, no, look, that's been going on. That's not new in the 21st century. That's been going on since Jesus's day. And people would be like, hey, yeah, we're Bible believers. We love God and we love our neighbors, but we hate our enemies. And Jesus goes, I know you've heard it like that, but I want you to be different. I want you to be perfect like my father 
is perfect, who sends rain on everybody, gives sun to everybody. And when we walk through life, if our life was a net, we don't get to have chosen holes in the net and let certain people go through and go, I don't even care. No, we gotta be perfect, nothing missing, nothing lacking, and every person gets to experience the goodness of God through our life. Are you, are you with me on this? So this is a framework that Jesus has about neighbors, and I'm convinced this, that if we can just be neighborly in the old-fashioned way and actually talk to people kindly, do some things like, you know what our family does? We hand out cookies on Christmas Eve, we walk door to door in our neighborhood and we give away chocolates and cookies. And just doing that actually has created opportunities for conversations with people because people in my neighborhood don't come out of their houses except to hop in their car and leave. And the same thing in reverse when they get home. And sometimes just being a good neighbor can open up the door for the gospel. Now, I wanna talk to you about my neighbors a little bit. Had a um, I have become, I'm still, I'm still kind of, a, I think of myself as a manly man, but I, I have found the joy of ordering things on Amazon. Used to have my wife do it. I kind of like it now. I've got my own account, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And I, I don't know if you have ever felt like a, a low key depression on days when nothing comes to the door. And so I'll, I've started to order things and I'll, I'll try to space it out because just really fun to open up stuff. And one day I, I get a box and, and I open it up with, you know, a knife and I'm excited to open it up and inside there is a candle and I'm like, okay, I wonder if Lisa got me a candle. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be for her, it would be for me. I, there's a story behind that. But anyway, uh, also, <laughs> side note, you can buy candles, candles by Jake uh, and soaps and lotions and uh, off the, off the, off-the-counter uh, ibuprofen substitutes. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so get this candle, and inside there's also some coffee filters, and I'm like, that's weird. We do pour-over coffee, and then there's um, hemorrhoid medicine. And I'm like, I, I did not order this. I'm like, this is weird. And I closed the box, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's my neighbor's, and it came to our house, and I opened up their stuff. Now, what do you do at that point, right? So I, I walk over to the neighbor's, and I knock on their door. I'm like, hey, I started to open this, and right before I actually looked at what's inside, I saw your name, and, and I lied to my neighbors and give them back their medicines. And uh, that was a, an awkward moment. I had another awkward moment with the same neighbors. Um, we live on a hillside, and we have a little bit of uh, property, not quite an acre, and uh, so we can kind of see all of Tri-Cities. It's really beautiful. And we have a pool and we have a basketball court. And it's not that we're rich at all. I'm a pastor. But um, people in Tri-Cities have pools because we experience a thing that I don't know if you guys have it here. It's called summer. And it's wonderful. You guys should try it. Come visit sometime. Anyway, uh, so people are outside all the time. And, and our neighbors have a pool. You know, like there's pools everywhere in Tri-Cities. And because uh, we're out in the desert. And I had gotten tired of the fruit flies in the summertime, so I was taking produce that went bad, and I wasn't putting it in the garbage. I was hucking it over our property fence into just the empty field, uh, so I didn't get the fruit flies. And I had this big honking tomato, almost the size of a cantaloupe, and it was going bad, and so I go out on the deck, and I'm just remembering, and you, you can tell, I was an incredible high school athlete in my mind. And so I took this thing, and I, I went, and I threw this tomato, and somehow, 
<laughs> I hooked it a little bit, and it doesn't go, it goes over my neighbor's yard, and I hear kaboosh, and it goes into their pool. And I'm like, I'm like, they're never gonna notice. That was my first thought. <laughs> Except there was a giant rotten tomato. So, so now, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm the, there's no, they're gonna see that. I have to decide that I'm gonna go knock on the door and say, hey, I'm sorry, uh, but there's a giant tomato in your pool that I threw in there by a complete accident. And that was an awkward moment because I'd only talked to them one or two times prior to that. And what I have found is this about neighbors, like you're less with your faith, it's harder to share your faith with people that you're in high proximity with all the time family members, coworkers, neighbors. It's easier to go on a mission trip and preach the gospel, go out on the street and share with somebody you're never gonna see again, because you could mess their life up, but you don't care, you left, and you went back on with your life. But if you mess up with your neighbors, you gotta see them every day as you come driving in, you know, like, oh my gosh, I threw a tomato in their pool. And so that really creates a problem for us. Okay, I wanna go into the three questions. The first question, that I want to talk about is this. I want us to think together about what is the gospel. If we're going to share the gospel, unpack our faith with our neighbors, people close to us, how do we do that? But I think it's more important to start with what is the gospel. And in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says these words to his disciples, which is all of us, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And so this was a commandment from Jesus. Now, let me explain a historical fact that I read and found very interesting in the first century and in the Roman Empire at that time, which actually had uh, rulership over the nation of Israel where Jesus is living. The Roman Empire had gospel prior to the Christians having gospel. And gospel now is a part of the church. It's a, a part of music. It's part of how we think of Jesus is, we think the gospel but it didn't start that way, it was a Roman term. And the Romans would actually announce these good news through their evangelists that they would send, because they don't have internet, they would send people into the towns that are uh, owned by the Roman Empire, and they would declare or proclaim good news or gospels. And there was three things primarily that the gospels would be uh, used for. They would send, Romans would send out gospels into the cities to announce either, number one, hey, a victory's been won in a battle that we've been in. Or number two, there's ground that's been taken, we've annexed another nation. Or number three, a royal child has been born, and so the empire is going to continue. And they would blow horns and make everybody cheer and shout because a gospel was proclaimed. And Jesus and his disciples, they steal that stuff and they go, oh, hey, guess what? There is a victory that's been won. Hey, guess what? We have gained some ground and there is a royal birth. The King of Kings was born and we're proclaiming a different gospel. King Jesus, he doesn't die. He's eternal. He's the king. And so this is the gospel message that the followers of Jesus were supposed to proclaim. So they co-opt this. They steal that language. And I like that. So here's what the gospel is. If you were to go back in time and you look through some of the writings of Paul, one of the early disciples of Jesus and a church planner, and you read some of the times where he says the word gospel, and if you look through the, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see these elements 
that I'm about to read to you. There's eight points if you were to do an outline of the gospel. And if you were to read through the creeds of the early church, that a lot of us, if you, uh, in certain churches, they will read the Apostles' Creed every week in church. It contains these things. Now, here's why it's important that we're going to go through this. If I were to ask you, hey, what's the gospel? A lot of us would say, hey, the gospel is that my life is messed up. I've sinned, apparently, and uh, found out from church that that's going to make me go to hell forever. Uh, so I need Jesus to forgive me so that uh, I can maybe go to heaven. And that's the good news. And most of us would agree. Now, I would say that is actually a portion of the gospel, and it's essential, but the way the first century disciples would preach the gospel would have started a little bit earlier in the story and ended a little bit farther down. They would have started with the creation of the world and ended with the new creation that God is going to do at the end of time. So here's the eight points that you'll find, and theologians have uh, agreed with this, that this is what the early church would have preached. Number one, Jesus pre-existed with the Father. The Bible actually says that Jesus was around and helped with the creation of the world. This is a part of the good news story that we're uh, commanded to, sh to tell and proclaim to people. Jesus pre-existed with the Father. Number two, Jesus took on human flesh and became a king, fulfilling God's promises to King David. This is a part of the story. It's the origin story of our faith. Number three, Jesus died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. Some of you are taking amazing pictures, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, that's good. They're following along with me. This is amazing. Okay, so Jesus died for sins. Jesus, number four, Jesus was buried. It wasn't a myth or a fairy tale. He wasn't a ghost. He actually had a body that died, and they had to bury him in the ground. And number five was that Jesus was raised on the third day. And praise God. Come on, we're about to celebrate that in two weeks, specifically at Easter, right? And this is the hope of the gospel for us, is in that line right there. But number six is that Jesus appeared to many. Like it wasn't hidden. This wasn't something that some religion made up. Jesus shows up in his new body, and over 500 people see him. And when the Jews and the Romans go, you got to stop proclaiming this new gospel, they go, oh, no, you can kill me, but I've seen the man. I know that he died, and I know he was alive. And they gave their lives. They're like, we're going to kill you if you keep saying that. They go, you can kill me. I can't deny what's real. And over 500 people were slaughtered for that exact belief. This is why it's so important of a line in our gospel is that Jesus appeared to many and then the last two are, are this. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and he's the Lord over planet Earth. He's reigning right now. Listen, you got a, a God who's alive. J Jesus is living. He's orchestrating. He's got a plan, and it's going to happen. And then the final thing is this. Jesus will come again as judge. Set the world right. He will make injustices uh, be uh, just. He will make righteousness happen where unrighteousness exists. He will eliminate evil and establish righteousness and goodness and beauty and truth forever in new creation. And we get to live with him forever if we're in allegiance to him. But he is coming back as the judge. This is the gospel story. Now, I realize that when we, that we shorthand it to try to make it accessible, but the story of God is rich and it starts at creation and it, and it matters. And here's why it matters. 
me just give you one thought from this. The fact that every time the gospel was preached, they would mention that God was fulfilling his promise to David is significant. It's significant because God promised that to King David, that he would have a king sitting on his throne that would rule forever. But it was 950 years to 1,000 years before God fulfills that. And listen, hear me on this. When God makes a promise, he's good for it, even if the promise outlasts your life or your family tree. Like God makes good on his promises. Come on, somebody. If he said it, he's going to do it. Here's why that matters on point number eight. If God says this, I'm coming back as king, and I'm not coming back to be born in a manger. I'm coming with fire in my eyes, a sword coming out of my mouth. Righteousness is going to happen, and I'm going to set the world to rights then it doesn't matter how long it takes. If God said it, it's going to happen. And so the gospel story gives us hope. Here's what's interesting. The gospel story has nothing to do with me and my sin and my desire to not burn in hell forever. The gospel story is actually the story of how Jesus becomes king. This may matter today for some of us in this room. Because Jesus isn't your forgiver, your personal eraser. You know what Jesus is? He's the king who demands our allegiance. It's going to hold us accountable when he comes back to judge for everything we do in our life that we think and we say and we do. Come on. We got to go, hey, I need to respond to Jesus as king, not as my personal forgiver. Something richer, deeper, more meaningful. Okay, so. Can I keep going? Y'all remember the vaccines? <clears throat> okay, just, I know, I know. So <laughs> let's just back up historically to like, I grew up in the 70s, so let's go back to the Carter era. It just feels like that might be better, safer to talk about. When I was in, in uh, kindergarten, I had to get shots to go to school. Anybody else remember that? I had to get some vaccines. And so here's what a vaccine technically is in that era, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I can feel the pain in the room here. So, uh, what they would do is they'd give me a shot and give me not a full dose, but a little bit of something so that my body could respond to it and create enough resistance to it. So that if I encountered the entire thing, that I could say, no, I don't, I, I reject that and it doesn't overwhelm me. What we're in danger of today, if we give a short gospel to somebody that's about their life, and their needs and who they are. It's like we're giving them a vaccine of the gospel. We're giving them just enough of it so that when they encounter the kingship of Jesus, they're overwhelmed. They go, I didn't sign up for that. I signed up to get to heaven, but I can do whatever the I want to do. And because they're vaccinated against the kingship of Christ. So the gospel matters. Okay. Number two, let's think about this. Who is responsible for the lost? And let's think about it like this. Who's responsible for people that are lost in Eugene, Oregon? Who, who is responsible for that? It's not your pastors. Come on, it's all of us. And we know that. This is an interesting story about responsibility. I was going through my, our church does a Bible reading program and so our whole church or all the people that want to do that are reading the same Bible chapters every day together. And it's a great thing. And I found that God really uses it very specifically in my life. 
So one day, I'm literally reading this verse. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 22, and it says this. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. If he does not live near you, you do not know who he is. Uh, do not know who he is. You shall bring the ox to your home, to your house, and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. And then you shall restore it to him. I remember reading this going, this has nothing to do with my life. Like, you know, I don't have any neighbors who even have cows let alone oxen or like, it just was, I was like, this is just so weird. And I'm like reading and I'm like, well, God, maybe you're trying to teach me just, you know, responsibility. Okay. Literally that day, I, I'm running late to get to work and I work at a church I'm doing the Lord's work. And so as I'm heading to church, I go to get in my car and my neighbor, Debbie, she's a single elderly lady and she does some childcare and she was watching apparently her, her uh, friend's dog named Pergy. Now Pergy it's a very ugly dog. Like, it's one of those dogs that's very flat. Like, it, like as a child, it was a, a dumb dog, and it would run into walls, and it's just the whole face. It was so ugly, like, you can't tell if it's moving forward or backward. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, very ugly dog. And um, I'm, I'm late to work. I hop in my car, and I see her standing on the street, and she's yelling, Pergy, no, come here. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just... I got to get to work. I'm glad I don't have animals. And so I start to back out and I see this dog in my rearview mirror goes zipping up our street and it just takes off and uh, it goes and goes and goes. And Debbie's like, ah, and, and I'm in my car and I'm like, I got to get to work. And the Holy Spirit reminds me of the scripture I read about oxen and my neighbor's oxen and whose responsibility it is. And I'm like, Lord, I'm giving you one shot here. Here's my plan, Jesus. I'm going to drive up the road. If I see Pergy, I will stop my car, but the dog has to be stopped. And number two, I'm going to call that dog's name, and if the dog does not get in my car, nothing I can do about it. That's on you. And so it's kind of how I, <laughs> kind of how I respond so well. I'm so obedient to the Lord. And uh, so I take off, and I drive, and it's out of view of our homes, Debbie's house and my house, and I see the dog on the side of the road, and it's doing the ugly pant, like, <sighs> and it just stopped, you know. And, uh, and so I open my door and now I'm getting mad at, at the Lord. I open my door and I go, Pergy, come here. And the dog runs and jumps up on my lap with all of that ah, ah, just drizzling on me and it's stinky. And I'm like, and I just, I was just very inconvenienced. And I'm like, I'm trying to go to the Lord's house, you know? And I drive back by and Debbie's like, oh, thank you. I don't know what would have made you do that. How did you find him? Thank you. And I went, I serve the Lord Almighty. You know, like, I was like, no, I don't know. I just saw the dog, you know, and just, I was like, okay, so here's what happens in COVID. So what is, where am I at? I have my notes. I have no idea. This is fun. Thank you. Uh, who's responsible? Here was the most uh, I started tracking in my end of year, at the end of the year, I, I have some habits like your pastors that uh, I do to kind of catalog the year. One of the things I started doing is quotes or things that uh, are, are new thoughts that I learned that really haunted me. The most haunting thought of last year to me was this quote when somebody said, insight or inspiration feels like change, but it's not. And that started messing with me. Because listen, every Sunday you come to church, 
You're going to feel some inspiration. You're going to be like, oh, that was good. And you're going to feel like, oh, my life changed. But it didn't change unless you go home and do something with what you got inspired to. Inspire, the word literally means to get up higher than other people and look out over and see farther and see something in a new way that you haven't seen before. And we love being inspired. We scroll through Instagram every night and we're looking for quotes and inspiration and whatever. And we want to be inspired and we feel like that's changing us. But we're not changed if we don't actually put the gospel into action in our lives with real people that Jesus said, these are your neighbors. So that thought started messing with me. I remember when COVID hit in 2020 and I'm in my house and I started going, you know what? I should start praying for my neighbors. I started thinking, I don't even know my neighbor's names, most of them. I knew one guy, Billy, across the street. And so I'm like, God, I'm gonna try to get to know my neighbors and I'm gonna start praying for them. So I'm in my little chair, mine's not leather. I don't, I don't live in, you know, Oregon duck wealth country, okay? Whatever, I have a cloth chair, but it's holy. So I'm sitting in my cloth chair and I uh, got a window right here and, and my neighbor's out there. So I'm like, literally like praying like this, Lord, uh, bless my neighbors. And I then go on to the, and one day the, the voice of the Lord says to me, what are you saying? Like, what are you actually praying for? And I'm like, you know, like I'm charismatic. So I'm just like, bless them. And I just felt Jesus, like one eyebrow up, like going. And so I started thinking, I, I, I don't know what I'm praying for my neighbors. It's just, I think I'm supposed to pray for my neighbors. So I started praying a very specific prayer that day. And the prayer was this, Jesus, use my life for opportunities for the gospel for my neighbors. Give me opportunities. Well, you know what that did is I started thinking, I can't, st I can't throw fruit or over the fences, and I'm gonna to have to meet people, started to change how I began to live my life. And so one of the things as I started praying that, I started thinking about my actual neighbors as I started getting their names and putting them on my prayer list. They don't know that. None of my neighbors are Christians, none of them, not one. And it's just started bothering me. I started crying one more and going, Jesus, you've got me on this block. Doesn't, they don't they could care less that I'm a pastor, but they need you. And I don't think anybody else is going to talk to I, it, you. got me here. And I go, I'm responsible. Not just for Pergie, but for Debbie and Billy and John and, and, you know, all my neighbors. And so I started to own that. So number three question is this. Think about this with me. Who is my neighbor? And how do I do it? So here's a couple of just practical things that started happening. I, uh, I, as I started praying this, God started giving me opportunities. Every time an opportunity would come, it was always at an inconvenient time for me. Pergi was the first one. And I'm like, Jesus, come on, let's do a little better on the timing here. You know, I was already late. Then one day I'm out in the front yard and I'm mowing my grass and this old man comes walking by and uh, I'm friendly. So I'm, I've got my earbuds in, but I wave. And he, he stops and he goes, hey, young timer. And so I'm like, hey, and he starts telling me his name, John Turner. I, he goes, I live in 1308. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, I'm still mowing my grass, John Turner, you know? And, uh, and so he just starts, he keeps on talking to me. I've learned this about people who are retired. They have no sense of time, none. And they think that you live in their world and we don't, we're busy, you're not. 
But we are, but they just want to talk forever. And I'm like, okay, so it was inconvenient. I didn't have a lot of time, but I started talking to him. He made it on my prayer list. Another time I'm in the backyard, same thing. I knew I had one day that I had to get the yard mode. I've got a big backyard. And so I'm there, my new neighbors had moved in. Dean and his wife and his two kids. And I hadn't talked to them yet except to say hi. And when they first moved in, I went over with some cookies and said, hey, welcome to the house. If you need anything, let me know. He asked if I had a drill. And I said, yes. And I took him a drill. But I'm not really a tool guy. And he goes, I need a concrete drill bit. And I said, yeah, go ahead. And, and then I looked at my little, like, battery-operated, you know, Ryko drill. And I'm like, this will not, this won't work. So, but that was the extent of our conversations. But as I'm sitting there in the backyard with limited time trying to get three hours of yard work done, and I, I'm doing it, I, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in my shorts, and I have really nice legs. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm being completely sarcastic. They're very white. It doesn't matter what I do or where I live. I, I, it's like Casper the ghost legs, but I, I have those. I'm wearing shorts. I got my shirt off. <laughs> I'm not a model up there either. I'm a model of how not to live your life. And I've got my earbuds in listening to a Christian podcast. And I come around, I'm doing the grass. And Dean and his wife are sitting up on their deck by the fence. And they're looking over and he yells something at me. And so he's like, hey, something about my pool or my grass. And I'm like, I, I, I wanted to say, I, I don't know if you've ever been on a flight but these little white things in my face are, are telling you, don't talk to me, you know? And so I'm like, hey. And he goes, hey, how'd you get your pool so blue? And what do you put on your grass? Because we're new. We used to live on the west side, and it's different out here in the desert. And I'm like, what? And he starts asking me about my yard. And I'm like thinking, I have no time. And I really want to hear this Carrie Newhoff podcast about leadership and spreading the gospel. Please don't bother me. And uh, he has this conversation. They have drinks and they're in a good mood sitting there, and I'm looking, and the sun is beaming down behind their heads. I can barely see their faces. As I'm standing there, I'm literally getting sunburned on my very white body, talking to them for 45 minutes, but as they're sharing, I'm recognizing this is a God moment. It's an interruption that I didn't want to have, but it's, I'm not a convenience store. I'm an inconvenience store for the sake of the world. And so I'm standing there, and they're telling me about their life, and she went to church. He never did. And they're asking me, they're like, you're a priest or something, right? I'm like, yeah, kind of. You know, and I'm like, should have kept the collar on, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but guess who Matt Moult's going to invite to Easter Sunday? The neighbors. That was inconvenienced by. I'm going to invite them. All my neighbors are going to get an invite. So here's a few things that we've done. You know, I, another day I was out doing the front grass, same thing, headphones in. This lady, uh, it's a relative, moves in with Billy at their house. And so uh, she goes to check the mail three times while I'm doing the front grass. Front grass isn't that big. So the third time she's making excuses. She's like, I don't know when the mail comes. And she's a pretty heavy smoker. So she's like, she's like, oh my gosh, I can't even, I don't know if I can walk up the hill again. <laughs> you know, like the mail used to come at 3.30. And I'm thinking, man, retired people have no sense of time and they're good at complaining, right? You know, I don't know what happened. Not all of you, some of you, I love you. You're very gentle and wonderful older people. God bless you. Want to go on record. Sorry about if I'm hurting feelings. Anyway, so she's like, ah, and just blurting out. And I said, I think the mail comes around five o'clock and she's like, okay. And I said, well, I, so I, I just, I sensed the Lord's in this. And I said, Hey, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm out of time and I've, oh, and over the line. It's a bad combination. Here's the thing. I said to her, I said, Hey, 
how come, uh, did you move in here? Are you, are you family or friends? And she goes, I'm staying with Billy because I'm, I, get, I got kicked out of my house and financially couldn't afford it. It was too big for me. And so they're helping me get into like a trailer park. I don't want to do it, but I got to downsize. And so I, I'm just staying here to the end of the week. And Jesus puts in my heart, um, you need to buy this one book for her. It's a book I had read about a month before, short by um, Nowen, Henry Nowen. And uh, she said, I, I gave up on humanity. I gave up on church. She goes, you're a priest, right? I'm thinking, who is talking about me on the block? <laughs> and I, I said, well, yeah, sort of. And uh, she goes, yeah, sorry, no offense, but I gave up on the church and I gave up on people in general. Like, people are awful. And I go, yeah. <laughs> and I just, but my heart started to, just think this is the one shot I got, you know? She's gonna go live in a trailer by herself maybe forever, thinking that God was no good to her and people suck. So I bought this book, had it shipped overnight, got it to her, wrapped it up, went and took it to her and she goes, what's this? I said, I got you a book. She goes, how did you know I like to read? I'm gonna be in my trailer, this is perfect. I said, yeah. I said, enjoy, let me know what you think. She went off and moved, but I was able to sow a seed in her life. And, and every time I've had these kind of conversations with my neighbors, it's never convenient, but it's always for the gospel. And I'm, I'm believing for God to save some of those souls, get them with faith back in God, back in the church, back in humanity, and actually spreading the gospel to other people, the good news of Jesus. Um, I'll, I'll end with these two things. Um, I don't know if anybody here likes baseball. I don't. <clears throat> but uh, the Mariners got to the playoffs, which I think is a big deal for them. Uh, yeah. This isn't going to go the way you want it, sir. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> so the last game of the season, I had, I'd come in from whatever I was doing that day turned on the TV and the game went into overtime. It's the last game that they played and uh, it was in 12 innings. I'm like, wow, this is a long game. Zero to zero. And they kept going and kept spinning pitchers. And I watched it for the next hour and a half till it gets to, I think it went 18 innings till the other team scored one run and ended it. But it was powerful. But there was a line from the commentator in inning like 17 where the commentator says, this is amazing because the Mariners have pulled out all the stops because they're trying to win this game, but they have no pitchers left. There's no one left in the bullpen. If they win tonight and they go on to play the next game in two days or three days, they may have to pull an outfielder or a shortstop up on the pitching mound just to compete because they've spent all their pitchers. And then the other commentator said, you don't hold anything back when you are trying to win. And I remember thinking that's the gospel. There's got to be something in Joy Eugene Church people, you and me, that goes, hey, I am going to pull out all the stops. Tomorrow doesn't matter. i got to give what i got today. Jesus, you're the king. I'm here to serve you. Use my life. Like, I want to just leave it on the table for some people to find Christ. All right, listen, can we pray? Here's what I want to pray. I want to pray. If you're, if you're, I don't think everybody in church today, for sure, everybody in church today is not like super believer Christian person. I know that because I have a church. 
but I'm super glad you're here because this is where you should be. And uh, none of us are super awesome Christian people. We're all pretty broken. And we just become a little bit more dependent on Jesus as king as we go. But this is what I'll say. I will say that you don't need a vaccine of Jesus. You need the full dose. He's the king. He wants you to wake up every day and to say, I serve at the king's pleasure. I'm here for you. You start to pray the Lord's prayer. Not my kingdom, not what I want. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus, I want to serve you. Let your name be lifted up. And you're going to end that prayer upward focus as well. This kingdom of planet earth is yours. Your will be done. The power in my life, if I've got anything, it's your power. And I don't live for myself to get famous or become an influencer. I live for your glory today. And you're just going to start living for King Jesus. And this will revolutionize your life. And yes, you will get to heaven if you pledge allegiance to Jesus like that. But don't become a Jesus follower like I'm going to kind of like ease in. Cannonball off the roof into the deep end of the gospel and go, all right, Jesus, I'm all wet. Like, here we go. And this church will have people around you to help you swim. I'm going to ask everybody to take a a moment and close your eyes because I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask some of you to raise your hand in response. I don't know, of course, I don't know anybody's story in this room except for a couple people on the front row. But some of you might have come into church today kind of with a sense of needing hope or something in your life that led you this way. And I want to tell you, Jesus is hope for you. But you are going to have to, if you say yes to him, You're going to have to say no to what he says no to. Sin, stuff that's actually wrecking your life anyway. You're going to have to go, Jesus, I'm sorry. I disobeyed the things that you said no to. And I'll say yes to you and start going in your direction. If you do that, you actually become what I call myself, a Christ follower. I'm not perfect, but I've received God's forgiveness. And I started a relationship with him. And I work on that a little every day. And if you want to serve King Jesus and you're not doing that, it's not been a part of your life, you would, you know, friends asked you yesterday, are you a a religion? And if you would have not said, I'm a Christian, you're the person I'm talking to. I'm not talking to a Christian who's just like kind of bad at it. (laughs) I'm talking to you if you've never been a Christ follower before. Please, everybody's eyes closed for just another moment. I promise I'm almost done. If you go, Pastor, I want to pray to King Jesus. I need to get my life under his command, change my life, and start following him. I'll pray with you. You get to stay in your seat. I'm going to stay where I'm at, but I do want to know who I'm praying with. And everybody's eyes are closed, so if, if I'm praying with you for this, and you're like, yeah, I'm in. I need this prayer. i got to start my relationship with Jesus today, with him being king in my life. I want to pray for you. I want you to stick your hand up in the air. That's all I want, but I'm going to pray with you. Come on. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate all of you. Put your hands down. Sorry, I'm a little emotional. I'm trying to just get myself together. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, I'm, I'm praying with and, and on behalf of my friends that are saying, I need to start following Jesus as king in my life. I think there's like, 12 of us in the room praying that for the first time today. And I'm praying, God, your promises 
that I know you're good on. First and foremost, we say you're king, and we know that that's true, but you're going to be king in my life. And so, Jesus, would you also please let your forgiveness come into my life? I know that's why you died. It's part of the gospel story. I need a brand new start in my soul. I need it in eternity, but like in my real life right here, I need a, a brand new start. And I thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, I know I'm not perfect and I'm not going to be tomorrow, but I'm going to start following you. That's my prayer. I'm going to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.